Welcome to Composers in a Jukebox, a podcast that brings together a special breed of musicians in a conversation about their craft. We are thrilled to be in the company of Matt Dunkley today, an incredibly accomplished orchestrator, conductor and composer. In this second part of our conversation, we explore Matt's work as a conductor, working with some of the world's leading composers, such as Hans Zimmer, as well as discovering some of Matt's original music. Okay, Welcome great back, to be Matt. back again, Matt. <laughs> hello, Matt. Welcome back. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, why don't we go right into it and start with your uh, relationship with Hans Zimmer. Um, <laughs> why do you laugh every time he says Hans Zimmer? He's <laughs> not iconic, you know? It's, it's should even, I, should I pronounce, it, pronounce, it, pronounce it right oh, in, you're in German? German. It's Hans Zimmer. It. Yeah. Oh, um, there you go. So, yeah. You get the t- yeah. <laughs> so that's the first thing we learned today. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what's your favorite Hans score you've, you've worked on and, and why? Um, I mean, I've, yeah, I've been lucky. To, I mean, I'm, I, I have to say I, I'm not his, I'm, a, I'm his number two conductor, I guess, <laughs> which is, you know, it's still, it's still Hans Zimmer. Pretty good I'll, I'll, t- I'll take number two. Good place I mean, to be in. I, I mean, Gavin Greenaway conducts most of his music and, yeah. and I, I know Gavin very well and he's a fantastic conductor and, you know, he's worked with Hans for many, many years. So I've got no beef with that. Um, but yeah, I've been lucky to, to do a few. I, I remember conducting uh, Inception, which was, was, mm. was a great score. Yeah, know, amazing and it, score. And it was, it was the start of the the very loud uh, brass chord that has been much much copied but I, I i remember conducting that and we we recorded it all at air where hans likes to work yeah and um i mean hans and uh, chris nolan weren't weren't actually uh, at the studio which is very unusual but because it was the time do you remember that there was that um i think it was icelandic volcano and it like stopped all flights because there was so much stuff. Oh, stuff. I remember, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. I remember vaguely. Yeah. So basically, yeah. so basically, Hans and, and Chris Nolan couldn't come to the sessions, which oh. they're always very hands-on at the sessions. So we had them there in um, Santa Monica, you know, at Hans's studio in the middle of the night while we were recording. And uh, you know, Hans was in some sort of pajamas, <laughs> and, and Chris Nolan was an impeccable three-piece suit and a tie. You know, and it was like you know three a.m. in LA. So, uh, uh, but um, that was that was great. I mean, it's, I think it's a really fantastic score. Um, Hans and and Lord Mouth had a lot lot of um, say in that score as well. And um, yeah, that 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 big brass chord thing that has been so copied was that that was to be there at the inception <laughs> of, oh, yeah. of that of that was was pretty cool. Um, so that, that I think that was a great score, and also I really enjoyed um, conducting uh, "No Time to Die," the last Bond movie, which mm. was hands, yeah. hands wrote with Steve Mazzaro. Ooh. And um, yeah, again, that's a, I think that's a really good score. And uh, um, yeah, to I mean, you know, to conduct a bomb movie is yeah, yeah. pretty cool, and and I got to co-arrange the the title song, so t- yeah, t- ticking my arranger's box that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we actually have a question about that. Yeah. Um, going off of that, what what does arranging a song like that entail? What kind of workflow do you use? What kind of things did you do technically on that? Well, yeah, I mean, we got the you know we got the Billie Eilish track in, and and Hans. Um, rang me up and I, I don't normally arrange for hands. I, you know, I've conducted for him, but I don't normally arrange. He's got a huge team of arrangers. Um, and Oscar Sennon does most of his stuff now, but he knew that I'd been attached to the previous composer on, on the bomb movie that, that sadly it didn't work out. And so I think, you know, he's a very loyal guy hands. So he, he thought he'd, 
uh, oh, nice. do, do the yeah. good thing and he, he invited me to uh, co-arrange the song with him so we had this Billie Eilish track which was you know it's a great song but it was very muted very sort of low-key sad in a way and it didn't feel at all bond like you know so my job with hands really was to convert it into the bond world uh, without killing this beautiful fragile song at the same time so yeah. you know there's a lot i mean we had a really big orchestra but i remember you know hands is great so i said oh, let's have some flutes there was a kind of in the first second verse i thought <laughs> so let's have some flutes and i said you know it would be great to have a couple of alto flutes and he says no let's have 12 you know so, so, <laughs> so you know we suddenly had this massive flute section <laughs> just doing these little kind of rocking alberti figures which was really cool and then we had like you know massive French horns. I think we had twelve French horns yeah. and, and some and brass. But it was very you know it wasn't like a a, a, a super big sort of Tom Jonesy, uh, John Barry sort of song because it's not that kind of song. Yeah. So it was really trying to get that those Bond elements in you know. So I used like a kind of. Um, you know, plunger trumpet growling, play, playing like the theme in the background, you know, blah, 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 yeah, yeah. just very subtle and stuff. And then, you know, strings doing the sort of, doodly doodly doodly, you know, mm. runs down and things like that. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting one because it couldn't, you didn't feel it could get too big because it would swamp Billy's yeah, yeah. kind of fragile vocal. But in the end, I think we recorded, I remember, and Billy, Billy, Eilish, Billy Eilish and Phineas uh, O'Connor were both there at the sessions as well, and they were great. Um, and we recorded three versions. We recorded, I think, uh, I did one that was a kind of muted version, didn't go too big. Hans did one that was a sort of muted version, he didn't do too big. And then I did one, he said, just chuck everything in it. So yeah. I, did, I did a really big one. And Billy liked the big one. Yeah. <laughs> and she actually resung her master vocal. So if, in the last chorus, she, you know, for Billy Eilish, she does a belt. I mean, yeah. I think it only goes up to like a D or something. Yeah, she's yeah. got quite a low voice. And she hits that that top note and she resang all that just, yeah. just, oh. just to ride on top oh. of the orchestration. So um, that was really good fun. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, yeah. you really affected how that ended up sure. coming out. Yeah. 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 Which is very, very cool. I mean, that's kind of a you know, being part of Bond in that way is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. yeah, oh, amazing. Cool. Actually, speaking about, like, extremely large orchestral um, settings, how do you actually manage conducting, you know, so many people in one big room? Yeah, uh, versus smaller ensembles, yeah. say. Yeah, well, uh, it's... I mean, it's it's the same process really, and you know, if you're in a studio environment, you your they have a talkback mic, and your voice is in their headphones, so they can hear you, so you don't have to bellow and scream at them. Um, and it's just really, uh, especially with a big orchestra, if you're all in the room together, it's marshalling how you're going to do it. Because normally, what you'll do is you'll do a, a what you call a tutti take, you do a master take where you have everybody playing, and then to give them some flexibility in in the dub in in the final mix, they might want to have the strings separate. From the brass just because just to give you that flexibility and um if you ca i mean that is my preferred way of doing it i think if you everybody's in the room together because they all get the dna of each cue and they understand where they slot into it and you never have any intonation problems because they've already played it with the orchestra um, the problem where you know quite often we'll do a day where you'll do you know a, a one or two string sessions and then a brass overdub session in the evening and the problem is they, as a brass, you know, I used to be a trumpet player, so I know as a brass player, if you're blowing out quite loudly, there's only so much information you can take in in your ears. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, however much you crank up the pre-recorded strings that you've done that day, 
they're never quite centered on it and so you always have some intonation problems yeah just because they're not in the room with them but if uh, there's something about the the kind of the alchemy of everybody in being in the room together and once they've played it they they find where their yeah their tonal center is um it might take a little bit longer that way around but it is definitely my favorite way of doing it and they you know the americans call it striping we, yeah, we, yeah. we call it stemming but yeah you you do a tutti take and then you'll do a, a take where you get the thing separate as well yeah i mean it makes a lot of sense because then you're also putting them in their natural environment they've yeah. spent exactly. so many years playing like that exactly exactly so, yeah. and, and and it just you know it gives context to the to the cue and also you know there's the brass players it gives them that they get a chance to rest as well. The problem when you do a brass overdose oh, session brutal. is you're just doing all the big stuff and you jump all the bars rest. And you know if there's a if you're doing a stemming version, then they they have a rest while the strings are playing, so they get you know they'll get the cue off while yeah. to, to rest their lips. But if you're doing a brass overdose and all they're doing is slamming all the way, and especially some of these big action scores, I mean the the writing is brutal, particularly for the French horns. Yeah. And so you have to be really careful with their lips because, yeah. you know, they're, it's just you can't keep playing. And I, you know, I, I literally have to, I have to get, part of my job, I think, is to protect the players sometimes because, yeah. you know, and they're, they're fantastic players. They can play anything. And our horns are amazing, you know, the best in the world. But you do have to sometimes say to the booth, yeah, we've got one more like this and then... Yeah. Uh, then we just need to do a few drop-ins because yeah. it's killing them. And, mm. and if you want... Yeah. It's, it's interesting because we've, We've recently had a conversation with Matthew Slater, uh, who, who works in charts, and we were talking about writing music for brass as well, and that was almost exactly what he said <laughs> um, in, in terms of managing stamina and, uh, and, and chops for brass instruments. It's, um, yeah, so it is, it is quite a universal thing and something that's worth thinking about. Yeah, no, I mean, it's. I think it's really important. It's it's a respect as well to the musicians because, you know, they they mm. are they are such good players, and uh, uh, the, it's not that they they've got stamina issues. It's just you're asking them to do something that is that is beyond the the that you should ask them. And it's getting to a point now where the brass players are beginning to complain about it. And um, I think there's an MU thing now where you, you pay for a, a, what you call a bumper, where you have an extra yeah, play, yeah. extra yeah. player to, to help the first chairs share the, share the load yeah which you know is is has been a regular thing in in the classical world if you ever go and watch a marla symphony there'll always be a there'll be normally a bumper on the first horn and a bumper yeah. on the first first trumpet just so they can rest a bit and play the important solos but take some of the big tutti stuff off yeah so that's creeping in now in the session world and i've never yeah. seen that before and i think that is because of this 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 whole um you know overdub session thing Absolutely. And like you said, the style of a lot of film music now, the brass is so loud, it's accented, you know, it's just, it's, it's just hard. It's high or low a lot of the time. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, I mean, you know, the, the, the horn writing and we're, we're so lucky because, you know, we have a, we can have a, a section of 12 French horns and they're all principal players. Yeah. So they can all scream above the stage. Yeah. You have them all going up to top C's and top D's at Fortissimo. Yeah. And you try that with a, a classical orchestra and, you know, the general, the way a horn section split in a classical orchestra is if you have four horns, the first and third are the high guys yeah. and the second and fourth are the mm -hmm. low guys. They've got the interlock. And, and thing, you yeah. know, you try and get them all to play up high. It's just, it's clam city. <laughs> <laughs> They're extraordinary musicians, but you, you have to be careful not to abuse them. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, really careful about that. And I will, yeah. I will say to the players, do you need, you know, do you need five minutes or, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
because it's their livelihood things that yeah, yeah. absolutely you know. and they've you know the next day they might be you know they'll be playing with an orchestra or something yeah, yeah and if yeah. you completely knacker, <laughs> knacker their lip it means they you know is uh, i remember one of the principal horns saying he had to after one of these sessions he had to take two days off because his lip was so oh bashed about and this is like one of the best in the world so yeah you think we're not doing something right if that happens absolutely it's like, it's like if you orchestrate something and if one of those players has trouble you d you did something wrong yep. clearly because yeah. they can they can play most yeah and form. you know as an orchestrator you also you, you you see that you know where you write they write incredibly high and incredibly quiet and you think actually that's pre pretty <laughs> much an impossible thing yeah. to do okay you can do it with the sample but you know, as a player you know it's it's you can only get it to a certain level. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that you're not going to get it any quieter. Uh, uh, you can do it on the sample, but let the player play at a comfortable volume, and then you just have to yeah. mix yeah. it down. Yeah. You can do a lot with the samples that don't yeah. don't go that way. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, talking. Sorry. So to jump in, just talking about um, recording in stems because uh, that's. Um, I mean, this question kind of. I think it's. Um, it, it would be interesting just for us to know and to maybe you know get some ideas to adopt in our own practice as well. Um, what do you get your players to listen to if, say, for example, they're just a brass section um, recording one stem in in a larger cue? Do you usually get them just you know listening to the click, or would it be the click along with the mock-ups? Or things that have like other stems, like maybe strings or winds that might have been recorded before. What what's in their ears? Yeah, when um, they're recording stems. I mean, you don't generally you don't want to give them any mock-ups because the, you know the, the tuning can be a bit variable and um, it, it's just they they always hate that. So give them anything that's been pre-recorded. So if you've done a string section in the afternoon, give them that. If there's any things that are pre-records but our keepers like a piano part or a guitar part or something like that give them that um you know and often they'll say actually just you know and they don't want too much percussion or anything like that unless there's a groove thing going on so they don't want too much information so just keep it simple but just something that keeps them tonally centered you know I mean, I, I mean, and players, they'll tell you as well, you know, <laughs> they're, they're not going to be shy <laughs> telling you what you want. And they're all, they're all so experienced session players that they'll say exactly what they want in their cans. And, yeah. and uh, the brass, whatever you do, they'll say they want more click. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so peculiar, isn't it? Like, um, from a player's point of view, you know, because we talk about like, the expressiveness, the, the linearity uh, in music making while at the same time people are demanding for more click, wanting to be more grounded metronomically as well. And so it's it's such it's such a magical process how players are constantly able to strike that balance between syncing up vertically and playing linearly as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, sometimes you will um, it's not so easy if you're you're stemming because then you, you get it synchronization problems but if you've got all the orchestra in the room together sometimes it's nice to do if you've got time to just do a take off click where you can just especially if it's not you're not doing like hit points and things like that if it's a, if it's a, an opening title or an end title and you can make the music breathe a bit more then um just go off click um and that that sometimes they're they're the ones that make it 
to, to the film because they, they feel really organic and the, you know, the Rallentandos and the Cellarandos just feel a bit more natural than, than when everybody's holding on to a click and it just breathes a bit more. And, you know, you can see all the players, it's almost like their shoulders go down, they relax because it's, this is what they, they started off doing. And, yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that's a nice thing to do if you can. And I know, I mean, John Williams, virtually all his stuff is off click. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, he only records two or three minutes a session. So he's, yeah. he's got the luxury to do that and, yeah, to, and to get it right. Yeah, he gets to do what he wants. Punches and <laughs> yeah, yeah, all yeah, that you, stuff. You don't mess with JW. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, nobody's going to tell him to do it to no, Clay John. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah um, one thing I'm interested in to hear, um, let's talk about choir conducting for a minute because you've done that too for example on dark knight rises i believe sure yeah yeah i've done quite a lot of choir conducting yeah yeah um so how in your opinion does that differ from doing orchestra i have a strong opinion myself but i'm very interested to hear yeah what i think you got to say yeah i mean you know quite recently I, i've i've actually come to the conclusion that uh, I, i prefer letting somebody else do it <laughs> um i um I always used to conduct choirs and I can do it and it's good, you know, but you, I think you have to treat choirs in a very different way to you do an orchestral um, thing. And, you know, we're very lucky in this country that, that our choirs are an amazing read. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know, you go to, you go to LA or, or uh, anywhere else really that you, you've got to kind of teach them the, the, the part and, you know, bash, bash notes on, on the keyboard. Whereas, I mean, we always have a keyboard when you work and just to give them like the opening chords and stuff, yeah. but they're such good readers. So um, it's really, yeah, you just, I think you have to be a bit gentler um, and a little more charming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try a little harder. <laughs> I try a little harder with choirs than I do with an orchestra. I mean, not that I'm rude to an orchestra, but it's just, it's just to <laughs> coax out the thing. It's a very different thing, you know, singing to, 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 to playing an instrument. Um, but, do you know, uh, over over the last few years, you know, I, I, I work with some great choir directors and I just think they do it better than me, you know, and I'm honest enough to look in the mirror and go, actually what they're doing because they are speaking choir so much more and they've actually normally fixed the choir, you know, they've put, yeah, together, yeah. put together the voices and curated them. Actually, it's great to, to just allow them to do that. Yeah. And, you know, people like Ben Parry, who's, who's fantastic at it, and he, that's what he does all day, every day. And it's almost an arrogance if I go, actually, out of the way. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, let, let me do it. And it's like, this is his choir, and he, he, he gets such good performances out of them. I, I, I've actually generally stepped back um, and allow, allow the, the, choir, yeah. the choir masters to, to do it. Well, I mean, that, that's a... Being having that humility, I think, is really important in the process in general. Because, like composers, sometimes with conducting their own work, some like to do it and some can do it, but other ones say, "You know what? I'd prefer somebody who's more experienced doing this yeah. can get more out of an orchestra." So, I think it's yeah. I mean, it's, that, that, it's that's al that's that. always a question whether a composer should conduct his music, particularly um, not so much classical music, I think, but uh, yeah, or concert music. But I think film music sometimes. The, compo the composer's place should be in the booth absolutely with the director and the producers because they can put out fires quickly politically it's yeah. super you know, important yeah. uh, and uh, i just think you know you if you're conducting it it's a you know, it's a very immersive experience and you're you're concentrating on other things and maybe as a and i know some composers love to conduct and that's absolutely fine but it does take longer because you've got to go in and then you have your discussion about the cue 
after you've recorded it. Whereas if you're on a tight schedule, you can have that discussion while the queue's going down. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, you have as much time as you like and you can play the cue and then play it back with the director and producer, talk yeah. about it and then go back out and do it. And, you know, on the big movies, absolutely, there's the, the budget and the time for that. But yeah. most of us on most, you know, generally it feels now that budgets are contracting. Yeah. Even yeah. the streamers, which, you know, when you started out with streamers, because they didn't really know it was, it was like, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> they they were chucking money at, at, at stuff, and you, you get very generous session budgets. And now it's tighter and tighter. I, I think um, we've even noticed that Levin and I working in the industry, we worked on an Apple TV project a year ago, and it was the it, it was very different budget wise how things are now and stuff. Yeah, they know what they're doing now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At first they were just ah, give them whatever. Yeah, it's like they it, they were very green, and uh, so I mean you know they and it was great, and they were very generous and. The, Great work was done, but now they're, they're, they've got people in place and it's much tighter. And, yeah. And yeah. so, you know, the budget constraints means that, that if, if, you're, if you're not wasting time, but if you're spending time, every cue is, is an extra playback. Yeah. Um, then that's, that's, you know, that's halving your record time. Absolutely. Which, I mean, all of those little things add up tremendously hugely yeah yeah because it, it needs to happen every time do you, do you want to because we have uh you know limited time left you want to move on to six cycles and yeah, uh, yeah, cycles seven cycles, through 16 actually. as well yeah um, <laughs> can i ask an opening question you, you this is overall so when writing music that is not to picture and just for an album and things like that how mm. much do you consider the composition of each individual track and then the overall composition of the album in the flow of that because you do have pieces kind of named cycles and then you have different cycles do you look at that as more of a macro scale of everything or a micro scale of each track um i mean the the the, the album came about the first one six cycles um i was doing it they were kind of the first couple tracks were like off cuts from ads that i'd done oh and, and they they hadn't got commissioned and then the the ad company that i was working with he said, um, actually, you know, let's, why don't we just do an album? And he said, and I'll see if I can get them licensed. So it was, it was kind of fairly, um, you know, it was fairly commercially minded in a way. Oh, so I did a couple, the, the, the couple Ooh. were that, and then I wrote some more. And they all had, they all had uh, names, um, which initially were, you know, I, the, my working titles, there was one called, the, like the first track on the album was called Reflections, which is, was basically just like looking out through a window, I think it was a hotel window and it was raining and I was not feeling very happy and it was just, <laughs> you know, and so I kind of sat down and wrote, wrote something. Um, but then the, the kind of label guy said, well, let's let's make them a bit more anonymous. Yeah, um, yeah. So then they became cycle one, two, three, four, five, yeah. six. And it's funny when people say, oh, cycle five, and I, I go, what's that? You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I have to look up the, <laughs> the name I called it, you know. Yeah. So, but um, and then I did another album, which uh, again had had um, had names, but because we'd already done the the the, the cycle thing, we thought we'd, we'd keep that going. Um, but I always had a sort of programmatic idea in mind, and I've actually finished another album now, which is um, kind of loosely based on the idea of pictures and exhibitions. So it was oh. it, it was it was a wander through Tate Britain, mm. and I took eight pictures or one sculpture and seven pictures of that influenced me and I, I really loved and then I wrote pieces about them oh very oh, cool and yeah. one of them was um 
one of them was like one of the pre-Raphaelites, uh, the, the one of Ophelia um, in the stream. And uh, I'd written this this piece. And at the time I was doing the uh, Judy movie with Renee Zellweger. I was, I was the musical director, so I was rehearsing with her a lot. And I found out that the, the model for the pre-Raphaelites was a, a lady called Elizabeth Siddle. And she, she'd been like, she was a bit of a muse for the pre-Raphaelites and she was, she was the model for um, Ophelia in this thing. Apparently she was in like Millet's bathtub for, for, for a month or so. <laughs> but, um, and, uh, but I found out she was also a poet and she'd written a poem based on this experience. So I got René to uh, read the poem over the track, which oh, is kind of cool. Oh, you got Renee's so, That's yeah, very cool. Yeah, very is, cool. is that coming out soon? Yeah, yeah hopefully. Um, yeah, this, it, it kind of it was a casualty of lockdown, but, um, you yeah, know, trying to put it together. So that, that was, that's very pro programmatic and, e and each title is, is based on the title of the picture that it's, oh, it's supposed to be. So. Well, be sure to give that a listen when yeah, it comes exactly. out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it sounds very exciting. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> uh, the first piece you were mentioning, Reflection, was kind of the most favorite one for me. Uh -huh. For me, I, when I listened to it, it kind of gave me more of like a, a feeling of wondering. Yeah. I don't know if I actually knew what you're trying to... Well, get, also, you know. I mean, I think part of the thing was also, you know, and I, I uh, it's why I kept the cycle's names on the second album, was to actually let people, because I've had people tell me that, different emotions that they've felt from the music and rather than me leading them with what I think it's about it's actually really interesting to hear what other people's reactions are and feelings are and I think I think that's really really nice and that, that kind of the anonymity of the name is kind of quite cool in that respect yeah, yeah. It, does. It, it, it it's really cool and mm. for me like uh, it's the loss in time and space for me for the whole feeling so maybe everybody has a different um, you yeah. know, reflection to it yeah have a question from a listener about yes. one of the cycles about sure. uh this is from emma this is a similar thing where it's the feeling she gives um this piece it's cycle six which yeah. she describes oh, as seven a, sorry seven seven is it says cycle six in this one is the question about seven yeah it's about seven. Oh, okay my mistake then a wintry um a wintry intense mood in berlin that's how how she describes it what is that's the image it kind of gives her what inspired you to write that piece? I wonder if that's accurate or if that's maybe she lives in Berlin. So actually, that's, what that's she's not getting. that's not far off because I, I think I actually was in Berlin. Oh, very amazing! Because I, I actually do <laughs> I do quite a lot of work in Berlin. Then I work a lot with the the Babelsberg Film Orchestra. Oh, yeah. which is that's in, who you in, recorded the album. Yes, they they, yeah. they 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 recorded the album. Yeah, and they're they're based uh, just outside Berlin, um, the Babelsberg Film Film Park, which is near Pots yeah. Potsdam. But uh, um, they're a great little orchestra, and I, I've toured with them quite a lot. We, um, 
we toured India and we went to Indonesia to oh, amazing. To, to, to do Metropolis Live, which was good fun. Oh, oh yeah. that's a very wow. that's very yeah. cool. That's that a is. that's a workout. Have you ever conducted that one? No, I've I've been to a live concert of that. Yeah, uh, I've I, seen I admire the, the, the well. conductor from the distance. That's, it's, it's very that's two very difficult that's to two do. two and a half hours of hard graft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I I had a friend. I had a friend who improvised uh, a score on the organ to Metropolis. Oh, but that wow. was kind of cool. Well, <laughs> that is very cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've been been over to yeah. uh, Berlin as well. You know, the the, ba- the uh, Babylon Cinema mm. in Berlin. Mm. I, I go there and conduct sometimes as well because they do regular screenings in Metropolis. So oh, that's, cool. It's one of my party oh. tricks. And yeah. <laughs> no, no click track. You just. Um, you just learn the score and yeah, um, mental. Yeah. But it's it's a great score as well as Godfrey Dupitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, very very cool. I love Berlin. One of my best friends from college, who I went to uh, UCLA with, actually. So he's originally French, but he moved to Berlin. So now that I'm over here, I visit him all the time. Oh, cool. It's yeah. Wonderful city. Yeah, it's a great city. I yeah, need to go there. Wonderful <laughs> orchestras too, as well. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, there's so there's so much. I mean, besides the um, you know obviously the Berlin Phil, you know, there's so many great great um orchestras mm. and, and opera companies and yeah yeah and recording you know as well i mean besides the babelsberg orchestra you know, there's a great studio called teldeck yeah um, yeah and they 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 get um orchestras mainly i think from the um the deutsche opera and the, yeah mm-hmm. fantastic i think that's where they do the samples for orchestral they tools, do i think orchestral like, tools they're running like, it right they absolutely they're do somehow yeah. connected. i'm personally very pro orchestral tools oh. because i've written demos for them so <laughs> buy, buy their libraries yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no but it, uh, it's a gr- great studio and it's a really nice setup as well yeah so. yeah great yeah wonderful i mean actually the, the next one for me is kind of it's, it's more of a it's more of a personal thing i really connect it with uh cycle number six um, which is really dense, really dark, um, and yet quite intimate as well. Um, would you say that um, on the whole, because, I mean, Matt, we, a lot of us know you as an orchestrator or an arranger or a conductor of other people's music. Would you say that Cycles um, is a good reflection of who you are as a creative? Um, yeah, good question. Yeah, I think it is, actually. I mean, it's funny. I You know, I started off... Um, doing pop arranging and then I got into um, film arranging and then I, I had a period kind of early 2000s where I was doing quite a lot of composing I did quite a lot of film um, quite a lot of TV stuff and I did a few films um, but then it started becoming a bit of a problem in just that I was wearing too many hats um, right. and you know, there was one instance mm-hmm. where I was pitching for a film that a client of mine who I was arranging for was also oh. pitching for. And I suddenly Ooh. thought, I've got to make a, I've got to make a decision here, you know. And uh, and to be honest, I, I I didn't want to give up the arranging and the conducting because I I do love it and it, it's part of what I do and who I am. And so I, I kind of made a decision yeah. to 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 step back a little bit from the composing because I think I'd I'd just have had to just have had to do that. And I, I didn't, you know, I like the yeah. fact I've got this slightly strange career, you know, and I've got a great agent who, who appreciates that it's a bit, it's a bit wonky, you know, and there's, <laughs> there's a bit of arranging, there's a bit of conducting, there's a bit of composing, there's, you know, all sorts of things that I like to do. Um, uh, mm. And so, yeah, I, I kind of stepped back and then, but then I wanted to write, but I, the, the way, 
way I kind of found that was by doing these albums, which then actually have been fairly successful in terms commercially, just in terms that they've been licensed for films and trailers and adverts and things like that. So, but it's a way I can just express myself musically without, um, you know, ruining the day job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone who does music, there are ideas that you kind of feel like you need to get out at a certain point. So yeah, I, no matter what you do. Yeah, I like to write, you know, most days. And I, I, I've got a whole load of stuff that I've written that's, I don't know what I'll do with, but I just <laughs> I just like to, to write. And I think, I, I don't think that in any way uh, hurts my orchestration and arranging chops because yeah. I think it keeps those creative, creative juices flowing. And yeah. Agreed, you know, any, yeah. anybody who's done any orchestration or arranging knows it's a, it is a very creative process. Of course, yeah. And obviously, you know, some composers allow mm. you to do more and some some are more prescriptive and, and you do less. But it's still, you are making creative decisions. And uh, I think, you know, to be able to... Uh, to, to write, you know, compose your own music, I think is quite important in that. Yeah. And I, I you know, when I first started writing, I, I remember I, I thought, oh, actually, because I'd always, it always been this thing that, oh, I'm not a composer, I'm an arranger. And then when I started doing it, I thought, actually, there's very little difference. Yeah, that. yeah. It's just that maybe my chord sequences are <laughs> <wrong>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, especially on a, if you're doing, you know, when I, uh, arranging a pop song, there's, there's a lot of, original material that yeah. you're bringing to the party. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's a big leap. And I also think that the two uh, are kind of mutually sympathetic. Yeah. But it just career-wise and industry-wise, it, it seemed to make sense to me to have that kind of demarcation. So, yeah. So people, you know, didn't get confused because, yeah. you know, the industry loves to put you in a box anyway. Of course, yeah. yeah. about your compositional process because mm. there are people who um, plan your composition and there are people who uh, improv or like just play around the piano and stuff for me I like to play on the piano and kind of like see what where it goes so what what would be your yeah um, I, I'm, I'm like you I like to improv I think yay. planning <laughs> kills it um, the only thing I, I noticed quite early on with my composition is I, I have to be quite strict with myself because being a you know a decent arranger, I can make anything sound okay, and you know sometimes sometimes <laughs> we we have to you know work with material from a composer that's not great that you mm. have to yeah. make sound better than it is, and I think you know I I was falling into that trap where I'd do a little motif and it wouldn't be great, but I'd make it sound really good because I do this big arrangement on it, and then actually 
listening to it thinking actually the core is 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 rotten you know <laughs> even though even though the outside you know it's like it's like when you you know you cut into an apple and it looks lovely yeah, and, yeah. and then you you cut it open there's a wasp in the middle or something yeah. oh. and so i i i have, <laughs> I have to arranging too early yeah yeah actually write and write something that's really has got something and mm -hmm. then only then start you know allowing your arranging chops to one of the in. best pieces of advice i ever got from a composition teacher was exactly that figure out the core of it yeah. and then add the filigree and other things yeah. they said it's like if you're building a house you don't pick out the lamp first you build the foundation first exactly. yeah, yeah it's true absolutely yeah. true yeah. yeah yeah so that i yeah i had to that was a lesson well learned but uh, yeah yeah so that but my, yeah my process it's very organic you know I, I i can't sit down and work out a structure in a chord sequence and things like that i it doesn't i tend to follow follow a melody line and then then harmonize that melody line yeah and i've yeah. worked a lot in um, indian music you know i work a lot with the uh, composer ar raman and he's uh, indian music is very mm. sort of non-chordal in a lot yeah. of ways you know you often have this drone and then you have these amazing melodies over the top yeah. which ar ar does and that's i think that's really interesting sometimes you don't need to harmonize yeah, yeah. sometimes you can just have like a c yeah. a c drone with with something really interesting on top so yeah exactly yeah yeah absolutely darren yep. ready to ask yeah. the last question darren, go for it. <laughs> right so this is the uh the, the parting question i believe um something a little bit broader considering how matt you've already done uh, a huge body of work uh in in various genres and with various collaborators but is there anything any any aspect of music or process or genre that you're still interested to explore and that perhaps you've not done before um i'd like to do i mean i just as a, as a writer i'd like to do more with dance I've done I've done a few shows oh. I've done a few Ooh. shows and worked with a choreographer and really enjoyed it and actually one of my cycles pieces um, we did a little thing with um, uh, Charlotte Evans at the uh, uh, Royal Opera House or uh, the Royal Ballet she's one of their choreographers and she she set one of those to to um, one of my cycles pieces with with she did this beautiful ballet thing uh, so I'd like to do something more with dance because I really. I find there's something magical about that. Oh yeah, I'd love yeah. to do a sort of performance piece with a yeah, definitely with a choreographer. And when, and when I've worked with a choreographer on on the couple of shows I've done, I've really enjoyed it, and that's that's informed what I've written. As well. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I did um, something yeah. for a ballet, and I just loved it. I thought it was so much fun. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'd love to do that. But uh, other than that, you know, I'd, yeah, there's some there's something magically abstract about it as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and it, yeah, I'd, I'd love the idea of doing something really sort of beautiful and artistic with amazing choreography and amazing lighting and just the real, you know, something you could do at a festival. So that that would be my dream. Yeah, wonderful. Amazing. Well, great talking to you, Matt. We really yeah. appreciate yeah. you being yeah, here. Thank, you, thank so you so much, Matt. It was lovely chatting with you. That's great. It was wonderful talking.